Hi everybody, hi and welcome back to In The Weeds podcast and thank you guys again for listening, it's much appreciated. So sustainability, zero waste, knowing about our produce and improving our lifestyles are high on everybody's agenda at the moment and rightly so, in a world where change is needed, I speak to Nicholas Fryer from Haifa in Chester who have this ethos ingrained right through their restaurant. Here we speak about the importance of zero waste, the impact on our planet, as well as Nick's influences, and of course his hometown of Chester, which has grown into having a vibrant, diverse, independent food scene as of late. And since recording, Haifa have confirmed they will reopen on the 2nd December and are open for bookings, which is great news. Also, on the back end of the episode is another track from my guest last week, Carrie Ann, and it's called Someone Else's Boat. Couldn't quite fit three in last week, so that's great. And as always, feedback is welcome through my website or social media. Uh, wish everyone as well, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks, guys. This week, I have Nicholas Fryer, of, well, founder of Haifa Restaurant in Chester. How are you today? Yeah, good, good. Thanks, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks for coming on. Obviously, I had the um, privilege of eating in your establishment not long ago. Um, and we obviously had a, a, quite a long chat. I thought it'd be really good to come on and, and have a chat about the, the Haifa experience and, and more about kind of, you know, the, fo- the future of hospitality and the, f- the forward thinking of a, a zero waste um, environment. So first and foremost, just want to tell you a little bit about yourself and and who they're listening to yeah so as matt said my name's nick i'm the um i'm the owner and operator at uh haifa uh haifa restaurants limited as it is um we have a, a small restaurant in chester in the northwest of england um where we are aiming to use um produce focused um ideas with sustainable food systems and then we've just opened our little fermentation lab next door as well um so yeah, that's us in a nutshell. And what's that called, Dexter? So it's Koji is our <laughs> is our fermentation lab. Uh, so Koji being a, uh, a a an element of the fermentation world. Um, Haifa itself is also the um, in in the in the microbial world of um, well botany, I guess. Uh, Haifa is a single branch of the rooting system of mushrooms, um, and that. As sexy as it sounds, that fungal uh, world is full of flavour and, and fermentation options. Um, so it's sort of intertwined into our ethos of um, flavour development and our sort of rooting system that we want to kind of get across and bring ourselves across to people that way as well. So. Cool. So how long have you guys been open now? So we would have been, we just turned one when the first lockdown kicked in. Um, so the first sort of 12 months, obviously we, we experimented with, with where we were and what we were doing and whatnot. Um, we started off a little bit more casual um, in terms of we were small plates focused. So the idea is you'd come in and obviously grab a few plates at the table um, and go through it that way. But then we, when we sort of knuckled down and, and got into our flow and our groove, we moved to doing our more um, set menu, tasted menus, um, which really allowed us to to focus on the produce and the, the issues we had with the small plates is we were, we were trying to write, write menus um, quite often. So, you know, every day the menu would be slightly different to some extent, which when you're trying to plan produce and stuff, it, it, it leads you down more of a road of needing more options. 
So rather than where now we work a lot closer, a lot more closely with our growers and foragers and stuff to be able to plan things for the future. Um, so obviously a big part of our um, uh, ethos is really is, is the produce is is the is the main focus really, and then obviously our sustainability impact is our is our other aspects. Just on the city walls, a lovely little spot. Um, what, yeah. What? White Chester and well, yeah. So I'm born and bred Chester. Um, I I lived in Brighton for a little bit when I was younger. Uh, I lived in Manchester for a few years as well. Um, I ended up moving back about seven years ago now. Um, and, and Chester itself, it's a it's a funny little town. It's um it's it's culturally it's it's fairly um, quieter, shall we say, in terms of things like arts and whatnot, and even the food scene itself is it has a really kind of um, uh, its own sort of culture going on where there, there is a good food and drink scene going in Chester. Um, the demographic that we have here is, is quite varied. Um, there's obviously on the outskirts of Chester, there's slightly more affluent areas, um, but then obviously there's a big student population. Um, there's a good mixed bag, and obviously the other side of it is, is um, its geography. Obviously, we are we're pretty close to Liverpool. Um, we're not too far from Manchester. London itself is a two-hour train journey away. Um, so really, we, we kind of, in terms of location, um, aside from being here, being from here, sorry, it, it kind of felt like the right place to do this as well because a lot of the ethos and stuff I'm sure that we'll get into that, that we're passionate about, they're not really seen very much across, certainly in the Northwest or, or in the UK even, really. Um and it's kind of a good test for us to do it somewhere like Chester, which is a little bit more, you know, if we were in London or, or somewhere a bit more metropolitan, um, I think these ideas would be, it'd be not easier to get across, but certainly there'd be more of a, uh, we'd have more vocabulary there. Um, so if we can do this in Chester and make this work and get our message across, um, then I think it'll be a whole as a good stead for the future. And what, what is that message? Well, so yeah, we, we are... <laughs> <laughs> Put it on you. So yeah, listen. Our, our overall, um, you know, the main point is that we want to make tasty food and tasty drinks. We're not trying to preach it all. You know, we are a restaurant. At the end of the day, we want to be, um, you know, a destination where people come for special occasions and things like that. But obviously, we do cook with um, a philosophy uh, based around sustainability um, and seasonal produce. So with that, like I said before, we work very closely with our growers and foragers and um, even in terms of our own team, you know, we have our fermentation lab where we, where we experiment with stuff in there. But our, our main goal is to try and um, uh, maximize, well, minimize so is our food waste uh, mainly. Um, so we are on the road to our zero waste goal um, as we currently sit. I'd say we are minimal waste. Um, we... There's a, there's a bit of a story with that one. We're waiting for a, uh, the next stage of our uh, operation to come into fruition, which I'll explain about shortly. Um, but then the other side of it is that we are completely plant-based as well. Um, so we're certainly not trying to be preachy with that, and we're not trying to convert anybody. And We, we even try and stay clear of things like the words veganism uh, and even, even plant-based itself. Um, a lot of the time people uh, associate a, a lifestyle um, with that rather than a dietary choice. Mm -hmm. So for us, it's more about the, um, the actual produce and just in terms of the sustainability impact of um, bigger farming in terms of dairy and cattle and whatnot. 
it's just the decision we decided to make to move away from that. Um, so yeah, that's 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 kind of our, our main goal really is to is to really focus on the future of food and what it will be. Because again, you know, for us, it's not the dietary sense of it really. Um, you know, we're not we're not trying to say that you have to eat like this all the time, but we're just trying to show people what is available and what you can do um, with this mindset essentially. Yeah, I think it's it's about being conscious about it, isn't it? And this is why we're talking about it. It's obviously why how this will get integrated in society. Hopefully, you can you know be one of the leaders in doing that because I think a lot of people that's where it needs to go. I'm a conscious industry, uh, and 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 in all society, I think you you, you mentioned your suppliers then uh, and and your produce. Where where do you source the majority of your ingredients? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we do all sorts. Obviously, there's there's a lot of our um, there's a, there's a few prefab things that I'll get into in a second. But the, the main the main person I wanted to point out really is a is a, is a girl called Alice. Um, she has a company called Veg and Petals. So she started off um, just tinkering around with some um, garnish sort of flowers and edible herbs and stuff like that. But then she got into more and more actually a grow field. Now, me and Alice actually go back for years. We used to work together. Um, years ago in fact and um and she's great she's very very similar to, to the dry sense of humor and stuff but very passionate about what she's doing now for, with her growing um so she very much like us you know is learning as she goes um and and each year now that we're, we're starting to work together more and more closely we can now start to project things so so rather than her growing a selection of things and we we take what we can and make a menu from them we now have started to work together so we can start planning ahead so we can say right how about we try growing this or mm. do you think this kind of uh, fauna will work in this environment or can we bring this kind of hybrid of different things together um and she yeah she's great she's 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 married to a really talented chef as well um which i'm sure helps in, in you know in, in that sense um so yeah alice has been great um, we have, you know, even even our garlic as such is is grown less than half a mile away from the restaurant. Uh, there's a there's a lady called she's she's known as the Garlic Queen is her uh, <laughs> her Instagram handle. Um, but she is just she's a passionate grower anyway for um, bedding plants and stuff. And then did it as a bit of a side note. So she she grows lots of different varieties of heritage garlics and stuff. And it really opened my eyes to it. You know, I, I didn't even realize uh, the kind of <laughs> how many varieties of garlic there were or even the process of how it it comes about with the curing and everything like that but so she's less than uh, half a mile away um but then even things like our we we finished a few dishes with this beautiful um uh, cold pressed rapeseed oil um from the guy it's a, it's a it's a it's a company called bennett and dunn they're based down in shropshire so again we you know we do try and stay as local as possible um two reasons for that obviously the 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 tournoir, if you want to get into that sort of, uh, you know, it's, it almost sounds a bit pretentious, but it's true. You know, we, we're trying to express the the, the local um, environment and, and, and vegetables and whatnot. Um, but obviously the carbon footprint involved with that as well. You know, if we can lessen the delivery distance and whatever, obviously it's, it's helping our overall ethos. Um, but then, and then on the flip side of that, we're often quite, you know, we'll go out ourselves quite a lot, uh, foraging um, and whatever else. So, well, it was work officially, so I'm sure we can say it. But we, we took a little trip over to the Wirral uh, the other day, uh, the whole team. Uh, but we, we foraged a lot of sea vegetables, which we currently have lacto-fermenting, um, which we're 
we're basically developing it's it's not for the vegetable itself it's actually for the liquid that's going to come from it um we're developing a bit of a, a sea sauce so if you imagine a a tile vietnamese uh, fish sauce yeah. we try to recreate that same process but we're using forage sea vegetables so it'll just be a little finishing liquid on, on certain dishes and stuff like that and, um so yeah you know there's 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 lots of different avenues that we look at in terms of produce um we, we've started growing some mushrooms ourselves in-house as well, um, which has been a, a, good, a really good experience until actually um, this week just gone. I haven't spoken to you since it happened. <laughs> so we, we've been growing uh, pearl oyster mushrooms. Um, without sounding ridiculous, it's actually fairly easy to do. Um, it's, it's an inoculated uh, bag of barley and hay and, and the mushrooms it, they, they grow in two three days they grow huge you just have to keep them watered essentially just missed it but obviously with the lockdown we've been a lot more in and out and a lot less consistent in who's around and whatnot so normally with the rotation and the picking and whatnot they're, they're quite well looked after anyway after being left alone for a week or so we walked into koji uh, last week into a cloud of dust and <laughs> powder and literally everywhere like it, it, it like it couldn't have got any further if it tried <laughs> so after sort of doing some sherlock holmes detective work and trying to figure out what it could have been we finally ascertained it was the mushrooms had basically on their deathbed this this last batch as as we kind of let them grow to as far as they could had given off their spores but in right. such volume that it completely covered the entire place. You couldn't get over it. I'm still finding it in my clothes at the minute. Um, so cool. yeah, crazy. So yeah, bit, bit of advice for everyone at home there. If you're gonna uh, if you're gonna grow mushrooms at home, don't leave them for too long because they'll uh, <laughs> they'll turn your place upside down. Having a fermentation lab, uh, you know these things are gonna happen. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. That's the laboratory side of it. That's the trial yeah. and error. Yeah. We know not to do that again, though. As an industry as a whole, how do you think, obviously you're doing a lot to improve that, how do you feel the industry come together and, and push that forward? Or does it take an individual, each individual to do that? Yeah, I think, I think it's more, I think a lot of it as well is the general public's even, even um, perception of, of the entire thing. I know me and you were talking about this the other day when, when you came for dinner. Um, it's it's the it's the fundamental principles of, of what society sees food as. I think, isn't it? You, until you realise the amount of packaging tag that comes on on yeah. basic foods, you don't realise how much waste there is. It's almost the, it's almost the other way around. You don't you can't solve the, the solution of the waste without the actual um, initial thing. You know, people that, that shop in, in supermarkets and stuff, which is you know, completely plausible. I'm not saying people have to change their actual shopping styles. It's, you are so, um, I don't want to sound too conspiracy theory here, but you know, brainwashed with how food is, is sold, essentially. Mm. Um, and I think it's the same in the restaurant world. You know, you're just so accustomed to um, uh, the, the, the high demand and high speed of, of the consumers um, wanting things that you start to, you know, you, you overlook waste completely. Um, we, you know, we're so obsessed in this country with um, food hygiene, which I, I completely understand, and it's not to to disregard that. But this is like our fermentation lab, for example. So the the whole culture of fermentation was designed to preserve things. 
So for us, you know, one of the simpler things would be is if we have an excess of produce, which is still in a, in a good place, then we will we will preserve it. We will either cure it or pickle it or, or whatever, and then we can use it in the future. And then when you start experimenting with that kind of, um, mm. you know, that lifestyle of, of using stuff that would normally go in the bin, then you start to really see what you can do and how you can change things and, and your whole sort of lifestyle changes completely with it. Def, I, you know what? There's a lot to say in in the sense of uh, sell by dates and packaging and stuff mm. on this. Obviously, a law that they have sell by dates on them. Yeah. However, the amount of food that must get thrown away one, like you say, because it's not reused in another capacity, but two, that that is still not off. You know what I mean? And uh, a sell by dates are, are completely they're there for different reasons as well. No, that, that's it totally, isn't it? It's, it's the system. The, the systems have to be in place, you know, for, mm. for, for the food hygiene side of it. It's, you know, I completely understand that. I think it's just people are, are so accustomed now to this. It, what it, it, it's, the, um, it's the convenience, isn't it, of things. So the convenience and the fast-paced world we live in requires this fast-paced um, uh, produce. And obviously when you start to get into that world, then the systems that come with it, um, obviously, yeah, it kind of makes you think that, you know, you forget at the end of the day that they have a sell-by date on them, then I bet you'll throw it in the bin once it goes past that date, even though it's, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, that's definitely something that we are, you know, on a, on a bit of a, um, I wouldn't say mission, because, again, we, we try not to be too preachy. You know, our bottom line is about the food and drink. Um, but if we can get people to start being more aware of these situations, I think is, uh, is, is where we want to start, essentially. Yeah, and you mentioned about the restaurants in its infancy. Um, however, you, you know, you've got plans there to maybe bring the produce inside the grounds of the restaurant. Yeah, I mean, we, we have a big dream of, of um, obviously, we, 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 we grow in a few little things and we forage stuff and, and we are trying to bring stuff close to home. Um, there's a, yeah, potentially, it's a, it's a bit of a, a way off yet, but there might be a little growing field uh, close to home that might become available. We'll have to see about that one. Um, but one of the next, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the next things in, the, in our process is we are we currently have essentially on order is a um, industrial composter coming to the restaurant, so that will take us to our complete zero waste. Essentially, what will happen with that is it's a it's a unit, it's a five foot by five foot unit. Um, it's currently on its way from India, essentially, is, is the reason behind the delay with it. Um, and what that will do is any food waste that we do end up with, whether that's green waste or brown waste, so that is um, excess trimmings and stuff from vegetables, which, to be honest with you, we will normally use for some other um, dish as such. We will make a, a, a stock from them or whatever. But any other food waste or anything compostable will go into this um, composter 24 hours later it'll give us a, a compost which then we will give back to our growers they will then grow our produce in that and it's a completely closed loop and that will be the end of um the end of any any waste whatsoever from the restaurant wow that's very cool and when when do you expect that to be <laughs> it's a bit of a funny one so it's a bit of a it's a it's a bit of a custom build job um, and the communication with the company that are doing it has been fairly slow and then obviously it has to get shipped over and installed so we're hoping by the end of the year obviously this lockdown hasn't helped either um, in this situation but yeah hopefully hopefully during this current menu that we are developing as we speak to launch in December um, we'll be tied into that as well so and it's trying to find somewhere to put it as well at the moment it's the issue mm. five foot by five foot uh, machine I'd like it to be somewhere for the house so that people can actually see it doing its job 
but yeah, with a fairly limited space as it is. So. Yeah, you might lose a few covers. That's it, yeah. Um, Use it as a table, even. That's the, that's the yeah, idea. There you go. Um, <laughs> It's interesting that you say about not sounding too preachy. However, you know, like we're talking about sell-by dates down the line that there should be more sort of laws passed or practices passed that, you know, people have to stick to these things, uh, i.e. not wasting. Yeah, I think for sure. I think if you even, you know, if you bring it back um, uh, the other way as well is if, you, if you're teaching people about food a little bit more, I think, and, and just, uh, you know, um, food cultures in general, I know in schools and stuff, we're very, I know we have home economics or whatever it was called. I can't even remember a single class of that from school, to be honest with you. Um, But even in terms of, you know, how produce is created and and how things are grown. And, you know, I think if we, if, if society came to terms with things like that a little bit more, rather than that um, uh, consumer culture of, of, you know, fast paced uh, turnover of stuff, then, I think that way that we would then start to eradicate more waste. Um, because again, you know, it's, it's one of these situations that something has to give, you know, everybody in the world is fully aware of climate change now. I don't think there's a single person on the planet that, that hasn't heard of the issues with this and then how far down the rabbit hole you go or not is up to you. But now I think even food waste being part of that, I think, you know, the majority of people now know about this issue. Um, you know, it's it's not a, a completely bespoke passion of, of some weird hippies anymore. Yeah, it's um, you know it's, something has to be done. I think everybody's quite aware of it. I think we are on the cusp of you know getting somewhere with it, um, and that's you know certainly something that we want to drive forward um, and and sort of pioneer as such. Yeah, obviously, you know, mental health's been been very prevalent at the moment. You think I think this plays a massive part in in well nutrition plays a massive part in people's mental health i think this is all linked in the sense of what we're talking about in the sense of growing um knowing where your food is foraging i think it's really interesting so these these habitual decisions we need to make early on in life i think it's something that we can improve on definitely in this country uh the culture needs to to shift like you said a good point i i don't remember anything when I was in school about getting taught mm. apart from what, 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 where, you know, put some seeds in and you make some cress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, yeah. The, the cultural shift, and it is, you know, and this, that's not me even blaming this country per se. It's not, it's, it's just the pace the world is at now, obviously. Mm. Um, you know, everything, the, the consumer market now is all very, um, you know, not to not to say ready meals and, and and you know you're only thinking a lot of people only think one dish at a time I think you know and, and rather than when you know when they're buying food and whatnot rather than how you can make the most of the produce that you have across different things or, or yeah and again in terms of in terms of schools and stuff it's just you can you know I know Jamie Oliver has banged on about it for years mm. and, and I certainly don't want to um, bang his drum too much but. Even the quality of food in, in schools and stuff, you know, is I'm sure you know yourself is is is, is terrible. It's it's mm. there's a there's an amazing nursery actually in in Chester. Essentially, they, they launched a, a nursery a few years ago, and they decided to really focus on the um, diet element of what the kids would be eating. Now they went completely plant based with it, um, which again, you know, is, is that's when you start 
going over that tipping point for a lot of people, I think. But there was a, you know, there was a bit of an uproar with some of the parents. Um, it ended up making the national news and stuff, um, which is how I ended up getting in touch with the guys. Um, and what ended up happening was, <clears throat> from all the uproar and everything, they got so much support, they actually only ended up losing, I think, two or three of the, of the students. And they've now gained so many. I think they've now just opened their third nursery. So, you know, I think the more forward thinking of, of you know, this generation and stuff are, are certainly more willing for these changes, I think. So, yeah, as I said, I think we're on the, the cusp of a, of a bit of a turning point. And, and, and again, if it doesn't happen soon, then, yeah, it's, um, we're not looking in that great shape anyway, so... No. So what kind of stuff did they do? I take it they, so they induced, introduced a plant-based menu and then... Yeah, and again, it, weren't, it, wasn't, it wasn't all wheatgrass smoothies and stuff like that. They were still <laughs> making nice, like, chili con carnes and stuff, but just using plant-based uh, yeah. ingredients and, and stuff like that, you know. The other big one is obviously processed foods. Mm. You know, that's, that's how I started my journey into being plant-based myself. Um, you know, I, I was a meat eater, not particularly meaty meat eater but you know I, I i did eat meat originally and then the start of the journey happened where i decided I, you know you, you could, some 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 meats and stuff that, that are highly processed you know you can you can as you're eating them you can you, can, you know it's not good for you you know you just they, and then yeah and that's how it started for me i, I stopped eating processed meats um then i stopped eating meat completely um went pescatarian then i went vegetarian and then i and then i then i moved completely plant-based and again, you know, it's, that's a lifestyle choice for me. It's, it's um, you know, I'm not here to preach and tell people to, to go vegan. Um, but I certainly feel better for it. And, you know, health-wise, mental health-wise, I think, certainly, I feel a lot more alert and stuff like that. There's obviously the um, cruelty factor involved with it as well, um, which is, I know, is a big part for for a lot of people um, and then there's the then there's the undeniable um, sustainability impact um, whether that be um, you know the, the impact of dairy farming or, or even cattle farming and whatnot um, you know it's 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 fairly evident that it is is a the way things are moving it is a it is a problem for the environment so mm. going back to the foraging mm. um, so take it you and the team go out quite a little, quite a bit what can what can you expect to to be finding? Because I think people are interested. What actually is on the doorstep? Well, ironically, as as we said at the beginning of this conversation, as we move into the to the winter months and the first frosts, um, it, it is a di- more difficult time of year. Mm. We actually we we just went down to um, uh, like I said to the to the beach. There's st- there's just about the end of the slowberry season. There's still a f- few slows and stuff I did see around. Um, obviously in the summer is when you really, you know, it's, it's incredible. You can literally just walk down your hedgerow, you know, and, mm. and find blackberries and red currants and things like that. And it's one of those where I would suggest that people do a little bit of reading first because um, obviously there are a few things out there that, that you aren't supposed to read. But to be honest with you, the way I, I got into it and, and the team take the mick out of me because I do just walk around just putting stuff in my mouth. That you just go around tasting things and just you know mm-hmm. you you then develop a bit of a you know when you when you've done your bit of reading and stuff you can then compare the two and you go oh that must be we found some sea aster the other day and it's it's only one of those where I hadn't I'd, I'd tried it a few times and I've seen it around and stuff but when you actually taste it you know on the beach you start to realise what it is and how it grows and what you can use with it and, 
um, and things like that. So yeah, I think I think you do a bit of light reading. You, you know, you don't have to go too far down the down the rabbit hole. You know, even even in urban areas, yeah. we we in spring we forage a lot of cow park, which is a, a beautiful little white flower. Um, it, it's a it's a it's a nice garnish. It has like a little chamomile kind of herby flavour, um, but it literally grows everywhere. You, you know, you could, if you step off a city centre street, you'll probably find it. Mm. Um, it's just yeah, it's one of those. You know, it's we we. We are learning as we're growing as well, and and you know, um, I think it'd be good for anybody just to just to get out there and start. I won't say picking berries and eating them because that's probably not the best <laughs> the best advice to walk around doing. But yeah, have a little read into it, and um, and then yeah, you can. It's a it's a great way to spend an afternoon. Yeah, the, the, there's a great app. Have you seen the app? I know without inside yeah. that that. So if anyone's like not sure that I can't remember the app's name, but. Yeah, there was one I had, I think, called Plantable or something like that. You mm. have your camera over it, and it, it, it. Uh, yeah, 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 it's cool. That's cool. That like, I mean, it's a bit. It tells you whether you can eat it, what it kind of tastes like, what it is. So maybe that's your disclaimer if before anyone goes out yeah, tasting stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to that. We just talk about the fermentation lab itself. Mm. So this is Koji. Did this? Is this open at the same time? I said, or have you found that due to lockdown, you've been able to push it forward? Yeah, it's, it's kind of had a bit of, um, it's had pluses and minuses uh, over the last uh, six months. Anyway, so we, it's, it's, a, it's, the, it's a little shop next door to our restaurant. It was a little hair salon and it became available. And, uh, and as, the, as the guys from the hair salon moved out, I was looking at it. Uh, I think I was just on the phone one day outside and I was just like, why don't we take this as well? Like, I didn't have a clue what we were going to do with it. Because uh, it's only it's only a small space as such, um, certainly in comparison to our to the restaurant. But you know, we 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 pushed on with it, and and we ended up signing the lease. Well, we went to sign the lease. I think it was on the fourteenth of March, something like that. And obviously, with the first lockdown kicking in, it, it got a bit slower. So I think we eventually got the keys in May. I spent quite a lot of the time myself uh, doing the, the shop fit as such um, to give myself something to do really in that first lockdown. Um, and yeah, the idea with it is it's our, first and foremost, it's our fermentation lab. So it's where we will do a lot of experimenting um, for ingredients and, and processes for the restaurant. But then we've also started to use the space um, to bottle um, and uh, jar um, finished products to be able to sell as a little retail item. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we... We, the main aspect for them is, is through the e-shop. So we, we're shipping anywhere um, around the UK uh, on the next day of delivery. And that's things like, that's a bit more of, not to say basic stuff, but the things we use in the restaurant that are a little bit more far-fetched, we have scaled back slightly. So we're making like some really nice kimchi and sauerkrauts. And we're making some incredible hot sauces at the minute, actually. They're going to be, they're not ready for another couple of days, but they are absolutely fire, literally. Um, uh, things like kombuchas and kefir waters and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we are, you know, we're taking our this local produce and a lot of it forage, especially for the soft drinks. And they would be uh, drinks pairings in the restaurant for our soft light, or then obviously they go into the bottle to, to sell as retail. And then the third element, really, of what the um, the lab is for or, or was going to be for was to do some little masterclasses. Yeah. Um, so we were going to have people in in the lab, um, maybe showing them how to make their first kombucha or how fermentation works in a, in a you know very 
very accessible scale. Obviously, then with the new lock, um, restrictions with, with coronavirus and everything, because it's quite a small space, we were probably limited then to not really having enough people to make it worth it. So I think what the plan is coming back in December, fingers crossed, if, if everything goes to plan, then we will transpose the masterclasses over into the restaurant on a Sunday when we're, when we're closed to normal service. So we would then be able to do a socially distanced masterclass for maybe 20 people rather than the eight that it would have been before. Um, so that's, that's exciting. We've just, we, we, ha- we actually had a sold out first masterclass, which was scheduled to go ahead on the 15th of November. Mm. And, and obviously, yes, yeah, so the lockdown kicked in. So a lot of the people have held their places moving on to the, the one in December. So I think we're going to launch uh, another sort of 20 spaces for that in the next few days. Um, and do two two on the same day. It seems to be quite a popular one. Obviously, that'll be near Christmas as well. So, um, yeah, if you keep your eyes, eyes peeled for that one. It's showing that people are are conscious about things. So, I suppose mm-hmm. goes back to what you're saying before. You know, the fact that you're, you know, they're selling out. It's great to see. Mm, no, no, for sure. It's. I think you know, just in terms of the of the business uh, side of, of the industry and the hospitality sector. I remember talking to a friend of mine that's in uh, marketing and PR even before the first lockdown saying that there's a lot of people these days are looking for activities or you know, more things to do you know, rather than just places to eat out. Um, and that's something that we're, we're very keen to, to get moving on. If you can come and, you know, uh, come and do a little fermentation class where you learn how to do you know, your basics and stuff and then you come into the restaurant you sit down and you have our tasting menu alongside the things that you've just done or maybe you can go and see Alice, our grower, um, and physically pick some stuff with her, bring them back, ferment them. You know, I think this is definitely, as the virus um, depletes out, fingers crossed, with this new the vaccines come next year and whatnot, if <laughs> if you're not into the conspiracies of the vaccines. Uh, but, but, you know, the, the future's bright for that side of things, I think. And, uh, it's yeah. only been the last... It's only been the last couple of days that you, you know you really start to maybe think about 2022 instead of instead of what you're doing next week. So yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's not just um, food based though. There's a lot of wet lead stuff, isn't there? I mean, do you, mm. especially with the wines, natural wines, biodynamic. Mm. Uh, are you using anyone locally for those? Um, here and there, mm. obviously not. Yeah, it's not the greatest. Uh, no. Uh, area to, to grow uh, grapes for wines and stuff but we, we try and what we'll try and do is then offset um, offset our carbon footprint in terms of stuff like that um, so we start our flight out with an English wine um, it's from the south coast from from uh, Hastings uh, but it's it's Hens Group they're, 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 the vineyard has been around for a long time um, but they've just started to re-up their sort of game at the moment and, and, and they want to work closely with some uh, more forward-thinking restaurants, so we're, we're keen to be working with them. Uh, and then, in terms of uh, mixed drinks and stuff, we just started working with a, a company called Empirical Spirits, based out in Copenhagen. Uh, it's the former development chef from Noma has created this uh, spirit company, essentially. Um, but very incredible products. Um, in fact, that basically completes our back bar at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will blend them with um, some of our fermented soft drinks. So we'll, you know, we will pair up um, some lighter um, 
uh, Kefir Waters and things like that with them. Um, oh, another big one, actually, I'll give a little plug to, is uh, is a couple of our best mates have actually gone to Tequila Brand. Oh, yeah. Um, so two Chester lads, I think we had a couple of shots of them. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's a couple of Chester lads. They actually went out to Mexico um, and they, they, they bought a two-year-old tequila um, and then they rebarrel that with uh, Mexican botanicals mm-hmm. um, and, and age it slightly further. But it, it's an incredible liquid. Like if, even if I didn't know them, I think the product would be amazing. We actually finish our tasting menu with a little uh, a little tip of a hat to an old fashioned um, with their tequila. Um, we stir down with like a little homemade uh, syrup kind of thing. We actually finish that with a with a little layer of smoked rapeseed oil from the guys mm-hmm. in Shrewsbury. And it just gives it that beautiful, creamy, uh, effervescent mouthfeel um, and, and works really nicely with the, the toasty notes from the agave. So, An amalgamation yeah. of culture there. That's it, yeah. And I think that's, <laughs> you know, it's, it, that's, that's, what we, that's what gets us quite excited um, is, you know, when we're conceptualising dishes or, or even menus is, you know, we use, obviously, as local a produce we can, but we try and keep our, our uh, vocabulary of, of uh, techniques to be to be you know worldwide. You know, um, we use a lot of Asian influences in terms of flavour profiles. We use a lot of Scandinavian influence with our fermentation and whatnot. Uh, I think that's what's what's really exciting as well with, with what we're doing. Um, you know, if again, like I said, going into winter, there's a very there's a very short supply of, of exciting. Um, you know, dynamic produce coming through this season. There's still some great produce that we're going to be using, but if you think about the summer with all the bright flavours of of, yeah. of of summer fruit and veg, you know, the world's your oyster in, in terms of that. But it allows us to be creative and, and, and add a bit of theatre and whatnot to the to the restaurant, which is what we're all about. So. And I'll tell you what, when I was there, I think that one of the best things you do is the the, the Lebanese wine. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's a very yeah, there's a very famous house called Chateau Massard, I think that, that is fairly renowned with with a lot of people. But yeah, ours is a is a slightly less well known house, but it's um, it's incredible. Yeah, it's a blend, but it's mainly syrah, and it's um, it's 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 held in concrete vats rather than oak. So yeah, it, it develops this beautiful kind of almost like this polished finish mm-hmm. rather than that big oaky kind of. Um, spicy shiraz um, yeah it works really well really 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 good wine and so do you, do you have any plans to make the fermentation lab into a full retail space we had a small lab one thing we have we've had to stop using it due to wanting to look into retail it's the bottle, bottling side of yeah. things is the difficult part isn't it when you want to scale up the bottling you kind of then it, that, the place said in, in Copenhagen is an unbelievable place yeah yeah, uh, yeah. That's literally our, our turmoil at the minute as such. Is mm. that with, the, with the online shop, it's almost worked perfectly because we, when the, with the way that we're actually operating it is, obviously we, we ferment things in, in big batches and it works perfectly for us and, and they actually store better like that theoretically because they're all still live cultures. So you can just look after the one uh, main batch and then say somebody orders something online, we then bottle that individual one, label it, package it, send it up. That's where you. That's where you come into the issues. We, we are talking about having the shop open in December as a little retail unit, but then you're looking at quantities of stock. You know how many individual, you know, bottles one line do you process? You know, is it where you know, in terms of the business side of things, and the labour costs involved with that for then that produce to maybe sit there and you know one line not sell of it. 
the produces, you know, and about the products that we're making are, you know, uh, are incredible products. Um, and it gives us a little extra uh, string to our bow as such to be able to get our name out there and yeah, and get, get people, get people excited about fermentation as well. In regards to Haifa, you, I know obviously you're in the middle of doing a new menu. Mm. So I'm happy you've come on and time <laughs> today. So, <laughs> Where are you gonna Where are you gonna take that over the next few months? Are you, are you leaving it into ten dishes as well? Yeah. So yeah, the, the the general concept of our menus runs quarterly. So we will we will devise the sort of uh, pacing and some of the story we're trying to tell. We actually call it our season story because um, every dish and well every element of every dish really starts with a concept, and we and we really try and get everything that we've put into it across to the guest. Um, whether it's a, a technique uh, from somewhere or just an interesting bit of, uh, you know, information about the products and stuff that they're actually on the, on the, on the dish. Um, but, yeah, we are, we're, we're probably moving to, I think we're going to end up at 10 courses um, for the new menu with a lot of kind of a difference in pacing. The, the, the first menu that we, the, the menu that we did in September that, that you guys had, obviously that was our, that's officially our first, um, dive into solely doing a tasting menu so that was really us going in with our, our guard up a little bit because we wanted to make sure that the you know the limitations of the kitchen space or even how the front of house service works and stuff we were doing that completely off the dome if you know what I mean we, we hadn't done any practice of it whatsoever so now that we were able to do that seven course uh, menu and, and, and execute it you know uh, well we now we're confident we can really push the boundaries even further now. And we're going to do lots more um, little surprises and uh, clever serves and uh, things that intertwine a lot more and really be able to tell a bit more of an um, in-depth story um, rather than just the narrative being you know, almost in a linear form without sounding too uh, philosophical. Mm. We're going to try and yeah, play with people's minds a little bit on this next one as well. So. It's about finding that balance, as well, isn't it? With the with the with the set menus of not being price point against, you know, whether you become a special occasion restaurant. With that, that's totally it. And don't get me wrong, a lot of the decisions of solely go tasting menu, you know, quite candidly uh, for your listeners, I know that are in the industry that would that would appreciate this, is that we wanted to, with the uncertainty of everything that was going on, was was to um, start to guarantee some spend per heads. Um, across the board, mm-hmm. um, so even if it meant potentially losing some some diners that wanted a bit more of a casual experience, we knew with the numbers that we were going to be able to do with the restrictions across the tiers and, and, and whatnot that we'd still be able to to break even essentially. Um, and again, you know, to, sorry to get that point across there, it, it is a very relaxed dining experience as well, even though we are tasting yeah. menu only. Um, you know, we're quite a casual front of house team and whatnot, and it's it's certainly not yes sir, no sir, silver service. But you know, we are we are trying to push to that next level of, of quality. Essentially, you know, we, we we made the Michelin Guide in our first year. Um, we actually had the inspection after four months, which we were definitely not ready for. Um, <laughs> I couldn't couldn't believe they arrived so quickly. Um, and that again, that was even when we were doing the small plates. Um, which isn't even the sort of style of food you wanted to do, never mind the sort of level I really wanted the cooking to be at. Um, 
but you know that that's the avenue that we are looking to to push down hopefully i'm not going to say that we're pushing for a star because i think it's you know mm. you get that in your head then we, we're not looking for the accolades but i i do say it occasionally to sort of set the um set an example of, of the kind of direction that we want to go in terms of the quality of the food it's not the you know if we never get a star i won't be bothered um but that is the level that we are you know we want to be in the conversation of and we want to drive our style of food you know our, our, our philosophies and whatnot and even our area into that remit you know chest like i said chester does have a, a good food and drink scene but it's mm. just not talked about on a sort of national scale uh, i think i think i think me and you were talking about it with, with york um mm. a lot of the london press and, and big critics and stuff um seem to have a bit of a soft spot for for york for some reason and as we said, I don't think that the food and drink scene is, is particularly more advanced than, than Chester's. Um, it's just there's a few more names there, I think, and whatnot, which, again, you know, if we can get onto that national scale, um, then hopefully we can start to push things forward with, with our city a little bit. So. I, I think the, the independent scene in Chester's pretty strong, I think, now. Uh, speciality coffee scene. Obviously, you've got Gary Usher as well. No, for sure, yeah. So maybe a little bit more exposure. There's always new little independents popping up in Chester, and and, yeah. and there's always big chains opening up as well. And it's, yeah, I don't want to get into the arguments of, of shop local and, and independent because obviously that's what we are passionate about. But I'm just a bit bored of everyone talking about it at the moment. To be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, but it's a great little area. That I mean, I think with the story house there being built, mm-hmm. obviously, then you got what Cavino. Joseph Benjamin Porter, yeah. you're amongst good company there. It's like, so, and obviously, it's always important that there's a there's a, a scene creates itself. No, definitely, definitely. There's a, yeah, there's a lot of um, a lot of good people here, and you yeah, you mentioned a few of them there. Chris Cavino's good mate. Um, he does some some great food down there. Actually. In fact, I didn't get down there when they reopened. I think they only I think they had about ten days open, oh. and then shut again. So. Is there any Pacific restaurants that you've been really influenced by? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, we, there's a lot of influence from Scandinavia, obviously, um, Copenhagen especially. Noma is, is one of our biggest influences uh, in terms of, um, you know, uh, well, just as, just as a restaurant in general, even, you know, everything they've done over the last uh, seven or eight years is, is incredible. Um, Have you seen the new place? Yeah, it's 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 well. Hopefully, on the list next year if everything works out. Now, mm. um, try and get over there next summer. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. There's a there, there is a restaurant in London actually called Silo. Um, mm. So they started life in Brighton, um, and they recently they moved actually last summer I think it was. So they'd only been open about nine months when the pandemic hit. But they were the UK's first zero waste restaurant. Right. So Doug McMaster, the the chef and owner there, he. I spent a lot of time in Australia um, and then, yeah, came back with this, this zero waste philosophy and he's kind of the, the shining light in, in that world. So it's great. He's got a great book out as well. Um, I can't think of the name of the actual book now. I think it's just called The Zero Waste Guy, something like that. Um, only a little short read. That's definitely worth checking out, actually, if people want to want to start having a look at that. His, his main sort of idea is that waste is a, is a, a lack of creativity, I think. You know, again, that's the... You have to really think. You have to use creativity to, to avoid waste. Uh, is a lot of what he talks about. And yeah, and just the general the general restaurant bar and bar and restaurant scene is a passion for for all of the guys in the team. You know, it's 
I think it's such an exciting sector with so many creative people, you know, all across the board who probably don't get enough, um, you know, acclaim in the general public, I think, especially in the Northwest. No. Um, I think there's definitely, you know, some, some amazing restaurants and bars going on all around that, that don't get the, the recognition they should, really. Yeah. And, and, and produce, like you say, there's a lot of yeah. produce on the doorstep, especially throughout the Northwest. For, for as well, you know, plant-based as well as meat. Mm. Well, no, that, and that's it. So, yeah, you know, like I said, we're not, I, there's, some, there's some amazing um, uh, butchers and, and farmers and, 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 and uh, dairy farmers in the northwest of England as well. And, you know, it, it, a credit to them, they put, you know, a lot of them have sustainable systems in place for the smaller scale ones. You know, a lot of our plight against uh, animal products is, is the mass farm element of it. So yeah, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to divert people away from them. I'm just yep. trying to think they have a slightly different way of thinking about it. What's your opinion on the sort of hydroponic farming? If yeah, you, if you again, it's, that's, this is the, here's the interesting one where you talk about the quality of the produce. A, a product grown in soil in a certain climate with a certain pH level with a certain, you know, because of its geography, is going to taste different to something from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's something that we try and try and have a big part on. in terms of hydroponics and stuff. For the for the um, farming side of things, and I think for cu- for culture in general, yeah, it's great because it's consistent. It's um, waste wise and whatnot. There's probably a lot less that goes into in, into wasted crops and whatnot. Um, so yeah, it'd be an interesting one. I think I think we've started. Our grower Alice has just started playing around with some. Uh, uh, hydroponic micro herb type things, um, which are interesting because again, then they're available all year round. Yeah, which is great in one sense, and it is grown locally. And it's but then obviously with us, we are trying to work on that seasonal aspect where we try and take that produce in its rawest form and, and you know tell its story that way. So yeah, yeah, I think there's definitely a future for it. Um, and again, you know, with us, we we just extended our kitchen slightly. Um, and there's an attic space above it, so that's something we've been looking at up there. Is is growing some stuff in house, like mushrooms and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I believe that the the Netherlands are, are really forward thinking. Mm-hmm. In, in I think they're one of the biggest exporters in the world now of of food, um, mm-hmm. due, to them, due to them thinking around farming. It's you know yeah. When you, I think when you when we're talking more yeah broad scale like supermarkets and whatnot. Then yeah, I think it definitely definitely be an interesting way of doing it. Or even people at home, I think as well. You know, I know there's a lot of uh, small units and stuff you can buy to grow stuff in there now. I think which will be interesting. You have to get people interested in growing, maybe because obviously it takes the uh, takes the risk factor out, doesn't it? I, th- I think half the battle here is is like, like you said is is it all starts at home. So I think if you're aware of what you're wasting at home, uh, and you know composting is another thing. The amount of things you can compost that you, you wouldn't think. Um, you know, you can almost minimize your, your waste right down at home just from having a small compost bin mm-hmm. in your kitchen. I think that is going to play a really big factor in in how you push this forward. If it's already well, if no one does this at home, but then they go out and they try and do it, that's mm-hmm. sort of counter <laughs> counterproductive of the whole thing. That's it, and it's, it is getting back to, again. It's it's Doug McMaster from from Silo. Um, he, the way he describes silo is it's a, it's a pre-industrial food system. So obviously before refrigeration and convenience, this was the norm yeah. to, to um, 
preserve things and to compost things and to grow things yourself and you know um again milk your own cattle or you know collect your own eggs and things like that and it's just so far removed from people now because of the convenience of technology really is what's done it you know it's without sounding again too too conspiracy theory and not conspiracy theory, you know but it's sounding too preachy kind of uh, new agey yeah it is the truth it's it's the it's the convenience of a lot of things has, has stripped away the the romance of, of a lot of it as well i think isn't it you know it's growing your own fruit and veg is, is well as dull as it sounds really i think it's actually really cool no it is i think it is it's cool so there's a guy on um from la called ron finley He's like a gorilla gardener, basically, from South Central LA. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. what you mean, yeah. He's got a, a thing on Masterclass. I think you have yeah. to subscribe to it. So they call him the, yeah, gang, yeah. the gangster gardener. So he's, he's <laughs> cool as, cool as, but he... Yeah, man. Great yeah. things, old drawers and stuff, isn't it? That's it, yeah. It's uh, yeah, man. super interesting. It's funny, you know, when you talk about Copenhagen, we, we, um, we went on like a tequila tour with mm. a business partner, and it was the day he was opening the new Noma. So oh, yeah, we, we yeah. were going around on the bikes and then it's obviously got a huge greenhouse at the front and mm. asked and, and Rene was there like this, vigorously cleaning <laughs> the greenhouse. And we were like, oh, right. like, hey man. And he's just like, we were opening tonight. He's in a frantic state. I've got to go. I've got to clean this. And we were like, okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but just the most bizarre <laughs> thing to see, especially how much, um, how famous this guy is and just like yeah. top yeah. off cleaning the uh <laughs> cleaning it was just like wow um place looks yeah. awesome but um a noma, noma was probably the best culinary experience i've had the back of house there is we're talking about labs and fermentation it's it, it was inc- incredible that's it yeah it's you know that's us being 12 months old now and <clears throat> that that's as i say when, when i say about pushing for a star, you know, you can forget the actual accolade. It's that level of detail and that kind of quality is, is really what we're looking to try and put on the map. Um, and yeah, Rennie himself is just, uh, it seems like a pretty cool cat. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So moving forward, is there anything in the pipeline or anything, you know, you want to push forward over the next six to 12 months? Yeah. I mean, that's it. So if, if, Fingers crossed, if we do get back to things as, as well, I say normal, you know, if we get back to things uh, to some normality on the 2nd of December, that'll be launching our, our new uh, season story that we will be, as I said, we, yeah, we, we're putting finishing touch to it as we speak today. Um, so the creative juices are flowing. Um, that, that menu then hopefully will run till March. Uh, and then obviously we'll look to bring in the spring story and then et cetera, et cetera probably slightly more than 12 months, depending on what happens with going forward, is that we are, I'm very keen to do something quite wet-led um, with our philosophies uh, as well. So only, only small scale, don't get me wrong, not a, not a huge venue, but just a, I'd love to do a little bar, um, fairly cocktail-focused. Um, but again, you know, the bar world is hugely, uh, not I don't want to say blind to, but I will, blind to the, the, the waste environment. I think, I think myself, uh, I think we were talking about uh, even citrus fruit, you know, um, yeah. in, in bars. We we don't actually use any any garnish whatsoever on the on the bar, even in our cocktail program. Um, and we've actually stopped using ice completely as well now, um, just for the huge waste that you get from uh, water waste on an ice machine. 
So we think of thought of a few different ways of doing things. We have, you know, it's it's one of those. A lot of our drinks are fairly simple to try and complement the food, um, but it's we make sure everything's at the correct temperature before you serve it anyway. So like a bottle of beer or a bottle of white wine, you wouldn't serve over ice. So, you know, in terms of our cocktail program and whatnot, it's the same sort of situation. Everything's just at the right temperature. And then in terms of seasoning, the seasoning that you get from the garnish, um, whether that's citrus fruit or whatnot, we, again, try and think of some cleverer ways of we take some uh, waste ingredients from the kitchen, say, and uh, charge it with some different acids or whatnot and turn that into a foam, which then sits on our sort of equivalent of a gin and tonic. So rather than the squeeze of citrus, we do this this kind of wasted foam instead. Um, and yeah, I think that's something I'd like to you know start to explore a bit further in terms of the wet side of things um, and maybe look at doing a completely wet-led um, venue. Um, but again, only only small scale as Haifa is at the minute. Because right? again, Haifa now we're down to... Where are we now? 20, 24 covers with the with the new restrictions. Um, but again, you know, for us it works. It's, it's that's the kind of scale that we want to work on anyway, because it means that we can really focus on those twenty four guests um, and give them that sort of you know next level um, experience. And then, you know, if we did the wet lead one, it would hopefully be the same sort of story. And just finally, mental health and and nutrition. Mm-hmm. How what we've spoken about? Do you feel? Do you feel that this can improve people's mental well-being? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, you, you can open a can of worms when you start talking about the plant-based thing and, and the, the health uh, ramifications, I suppose, of it. There's a lot of evidence to say that the plant-based diet is is better for you in general. And, and the reason I'm saying it like that is it has to work for you, and I think it's got to be like that for any sort of diet. Because if something makes you feel better, physically or mentally, then it's the right thing for you to do. If you want, you know, if, if only eating meat puts you in a better mind frame or, or whatnot, then that's probably what you should be doing. Because it's completely subjective, and it's you know, it's down to the individuals. But obviously, I think it plays a huge part, especially people in the industry as well. Because let's face it, we we although even you know the people that work in the best restaurants in the world tend to have the worst diets. Because of the because of the hours and the and the time that you have and whatnot to eat, um, so yeah, I think it's a I think it's a huge thing. I, to be honest with you, I've just been doing a little bit of intermittent fasting uh, for the first time ever, which I know isn't quite on the nutrition side of it, but just in terms of how um, you know timings and stuff with the restaurant. But I felt great from it because um, yeah. again, it's it's going back to that thing, isn't it? It's the it's the traditions of of people saying right. Every meal that you eat should have meat to your veg, and you should eat three times a day. You know, they're, they're, it's, this is a tradition, and a lot of our food cultures are traditions that go back hundreds of years. That when you actually start looking at them, <laughs> it, you know, it, 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 it might not actually be the best way of doing it. It's just that it's so ingrained into our culture. Um, so yeah, from the farming, even through to the to how many meals a day you eat, you know, is is from a culture a hundred years ago or, or more so exactly and and different time you know like we say di- diverse lifestyles uh, mm. and cultures obviously then you need to adapt your diet to that whereas things were probably very much more structured in the way the day was set up whereas like you know if you're intimate fasting that's probably going to work for you working late so you probably exactly, fast yeah. in the morning and yeah 
that's exactly it. You know, I know, I know, I know loads of people in the industry that, that say they don't tend to eat breakfast, but again, that's just because your normal working day, you know, it'll probably be from nine, ten in the morning all the way through till mm. you know, at least nine or ten at night. So, yeah, I think it, you know, it's, um, it's, it, like I said, it's. I think individually, you have to find what's right for you. There is no. I don't think there's any sort of Bible that says this is the correct way of, of this is what you should eat and when you should eat it. It's, it's all about finding out yourself, I think. And, um, yeah, around the constraints of what you do as well. Because, yeah, if you work nine to five, Monday to Friday, I suppose you're going to have a bit more of a, of a structured plan, yeah. So. Of course. Of course. Cool. Well, I, I don't want to um, take up much more of your time. I know you're busy today putting the final... final um, garnishes and etc to you and you so um yeah like thanks for coming on and i think what you guys are doing is 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 really forward think i hope people can learn a lot from it so if you you know if you haven't been yet go down there as well i think it kind of comes comes from your staff as well who are all definitely singing from the same hymn sheet with the ethos so. yeah yeah actually i'll give a little shout out to the guys the team at the minute here a really good team in place um yeah really talented chefs and, and great front of house team as well so great stuff thanks for coming on and i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the new menu and, and coming back in yeah man yeah amazing no, good speech mate Someone else's boat